So you can be turning over to Hosea chapter 6, and we're going to look there in just a moment at the first three verses, and then we'll be going over uh, to the book of Philippians um, for the rest of our study. But, you know, in view of what we looked at last week, you know, Isaiah 57, 15, the title of my message is, Let Us Know the Lord. And Isaiah 57, 15, there we looked at it last week, and it says, For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And um, just thinking more on that myself since last week, you know, this idea again of God wanting to dwell with us, the one who, as it says in that verse, who's high and lofty, who's eternal, who's holy, And yet, in that verse, he tells us that God willingly wants to dwell with anyone who is contrite and humble. And it reminded me of what the psalmist said in Psalm 8, 4, what is man that you are mindful of him, and a son of man that you visit him? And it's just such an amazing thing to me that here God desires to dwell with me and with you and uh, and allow us to be in his presence But it's not just for the sake of dwelling with God, I believe, that he expresses what he does here in Isaiah 57, 15. God wants us not only to dwell with him, but he wants us to know him. He wants us to grow deeper and and go on in knowing him and who he is. And that's the call we'll see here as we look at Hosea here tonight and and what what the prophet Hosea had to say. And then, like I said, after that, we'll look over in the book of Philippians at the example from the Apostle Paul's life. You know, Hosea uh, was a prophet. You no, know, Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom. Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And they basically about the same time, they prophesied. Um, one to the northern, the other to the southern. And so Hosea was ministering in the northern kingdom. And, um, and this is his, his call to his people here in verses 1 through 3. And it says... Um, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain like the latter and former reign to the earth. And so there in verse 1, the first part, is just a simple call by Hosea to return to the Lord. Um, And, you know, this is the message that God has for all who walk away from him, is just return. You know, and, I mean, we won't go through the story because we did it last week, but the condition of the northern kingdom was really just as bad, worse, than it was in the southern kingdom. And this is the people Hosea is speaking to, just saying, return to the Lord. And so the good news for us tonight is, is if we're not where we need to be with the Lord, the same call is there for us, is return to me. That's, that's the Lord's call to all who've walked away, is return. And so even as we think ahead to Easter, I'm sure, again, we know people who've walked away from the Lord. And as we have opportunity to talk to them and to pray for them, let's be calling them to return to the Lord. That's what the Lord's call is, is return to me. No matter what we've done, no matter how far we've gone, that's God still, his call is return, return to the Lord. 
And, you know, and again, if you tonight need to do that, there's going to be opportunity to do that. And I encourage you to return to the Lord if you've not been walking with him. And we come to the last half of verse 1 there, though, into verse 2. And there's this promised blessing that if a person returns, it says the Lord is going to heal. He's going to bandage. He's going to bring life. And he's going to lift up the person who returns to him. Um, And for what purpose does he do this? I think we see it there at the end of that last part of verse 2. It says that we may live in his sight. And that, word, that phrase there, in his sight, uh, means in front of someone in power before a king. And again, as you think about that, live in his sight, I think we can go quickly to the thought we're on here is of dwelling with him. That's what it's talking about. If we return... If a person's walked away from the Lord, the Lord's promise to them is that he'll heal them, he'll restore them, and they'll be able to live or dwell with him in his presence. And so knowing that God is willing to dwell with us, again, Isaiah 57 that we opened with, verse 15, that should stir us in us a desire in our lives to want to know him more. The fact that he desires to dwell with me and you should be stirring us into a greater desire to know him, to want to know him more. Like, who, who is this God so far above and beyond, and yet he wants to dwell with us? And yet he calls us again, as he does here in verse 3, the, the, Hosea the prophet says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. So <clears throat> right after the call for repentance is given there in verse 1, you know, this, this call is given out. And, you know, repentance is not the end, but just the beginning with the Lord. It's not the end, but it's just the beginning. The appeal here in verse 3 is to know the Lord, is to know him. And it's so important because this thing of knowing the Lord, I think, has ramifications in every area of our lives. If we're not seeking to know him, and go deeper in our relationship with him, we're going to run into problems. We're going, to have, we're going to get off the path and get off into things that aren't going to be good for us. And that's what had happened to the nation of Israel. Not knowing the Lord and not seeking to know the Lord had led to their spiritual bankruptcy. That's where they were as a nation. And Hosea 6.4, there it says, my people are destroyed Um, I'm sorry, I have the wrong reference, but it isn't Hosea. I apologize for that. But it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. And so, again, they had rejected knowledge. They had not sought to know the Lord, and they they were destroyed for that. So the first word know there in verse 3 of Hosea 6 is speaking of a cognitive knowledge of God. So just a mental knowledge, an awareness of him and who he is, but it doesn't stop there in this, in this call to know. It follows up by saying, uh, let us press on, or the word there is pursue in the New King James, but it's, it means let us press on. It means pursue. I mean, it means to follow after, carrying the idea in this context here in Hosea 6 of persecute. Now, when someone is after a person to persecute them, there's an intensity to it, right? It's not just kind of take it or leave it. It's not kind of halfway. There's, no, there's intensity when someone's looking to persecute. And so that's the idea that this word pursue brings with it, that there should, 
the prophet Hosea is calling us to have an intensity to pursue the knowledge of the Lord and to seek him and to find out who he is and to know him. And so this is how we're being told to seek to know the Lord. Be intense about seeking to know him. And the second no there in verse 3 um, that Hosea gives means in an experiential way. It's not just an intellectual knowledge we're called to, but we're called to experience the Lord in knowing him. And so it's both. Both are there, both the intellectual, but also the experiential knowledge of the Lord is what we're being called to. And the blessing promised for pressing on to know the Lord here in Hosea 6.3 is a spiritual refreshment that would happen. He will come to us, it says, like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. And so they would have very much understood that because they, they were an agrarian society. And so the, these rains, we're talking about the rain that they would have when it was planting time and the rain that would come for harvest time. They were both very important. And both of those, the end result, having both brought life and growth and health, right? And so that's what was being talked about here by Hosea is that this is his promise. He will come to us and there will be life there will be refreshment. There will be growth in our lives if we seek to know him, if we seek to pursue who the Lord is. You know, Hebrews eleven six says this, says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So again, much like Hosea there, this promise that God rewards those who diligently seek him, those who pursue him. He's going to reward us with, with refreshment and with life if we're doing that. And you know, what excites me about this call to know God is that this is a call that for all to follow the Lord. It's a call for everyone who's put faith in Christ. It's not just for somebody maybe called the ministry or somebody that's sent out as a missionary. This is for all of us as believers, this call, this invitation to know him and to pursue the knowledge of him is for all of us. The Lord wants this for all of our lives. And that should, hopefully that excites you tonight, right? That you have the opportunity to pursue after and know him. It's not just you get to sit and watch somebody else be amazed and blown away as they get to know the Lord and you just have to jealously look on. Now you and I, we all have this opportunity. And again, as I said a moment ago, seeking to know the Lord, it matters for our lives. It has ramifications in every aspect of our lives. If we are to live the lives Christ intends for us to live, lives that are fruitful and victorious, we must know the Lord. And we must be continually seeking to pursue him. You know, Back when Pastor Troy was studying through the book of Exodus, um, it kind of stood out to me. I'd never seen it before, but in Exodus 24, it gives us this little story of Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu going to the presence of the, of the Lord with the, with the 70 elders. And let's read there, Exodus 24, 9 through 11. It says, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hands, so they saw God, 
and they ate and drank. And so we have this, you know, this little thing kind of thrown in there. We don't have much other information, but Moses, along with Aaron, Adab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders all got to go spend some time with God together and got a glimpse of the Lord. And I believe Joshua was also there because just a few verses later on, it mentions him going on further with Moses. And if you turn over to Exodus 33:11, we have this other little bit of information given to us about Joshua. And just bear with me for a minute. I think this will make sense. And hopefully, if it doesn't, I'll talk to you after. But um, my mind can run a lot of places sometimes. But 33.11, it's speaking of Joshua here. It's, it talks about him. It says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he returned to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. And so you think about Joshua And let's just compare Joshua and let's say Nadab and Abihu, just the difference in their lives, right? They all got to see some of the glory of God, be in his presence. But only Joshua continued to seek to pursue the know God. That's why he's hanging out there at the tabernacle. He's wanting to know the Lord. And think of how much of a difference that made in his life. And he was one of only, there's only one other person beside him that got the chance to go into the promised land from that generation. All those other guys got to see the same thing, but they chose not to pursue the Lord. Only Joshua chose to pursue the Lord, and he got to take the nation into the promised land, into the place that God had promised. So that's why I say I think it it is a pretty big deal that we seek to pursue the Lord, because if not, we can again get way off the path get away from where we need to be. So it's no small thing, I think, this invitation that was given to us in Hosea 6.3, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. And so if you guys want to start, turn over to Philippians um, chapter 3. We're going to be there in just a moment. In 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, here Peter gives us again this thing of how important it is Um, for us to know the Lord. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, but which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so here Peter is tying to knowing the Lord some very important things in our lives, right? Us having the ability to overcome and to experience the exceeding great and precious promises that are ours in Christ. And he's telling us that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, but it's attached to the knowledge, it's in Christ, in the knowledge of him that we have that. And the reason I bring that up before we go here into Paul's example is, is we have a lot of people that will tell us a lot of different things we need, right? There's all kinds of philosophies and ideas, even in the church, of things people need to be able to overcome sin and to be able to be victorious. But what the word of God tells us is we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. And I think the reason I struggle and the reason you struggle at times with things is because we're not pursuing the knowledge of God as we should. 
We're not digging into him and getting to know him. That's why we struggle. That's where the struggle comes from. And so we have what we need, and the Lord's call to us is, come, know me. Come, be in my presence. And so what does seeking the Lord look like? Well, I don't think we have to guess or wonder. I think here in the book of Philippians, we're given the example of the Apostle Paul, and I want to spend the rest of the time we have here tonight looking here at his example. And we're going to look from, at Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 21. And I'm just going to read those, and then we'll go back through what Paul says here. He says, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to, to subdue all things to himself. And so there in verses 7 through 11, I think we see Paul's supreme goal. In verses 7 through 8 of that section, I think we see Paul, Paul uh, his, the worthwhile loss that he speaks of. You know, Paul had just finished in chapter 3 here listing many of the things that were a profit to him as a Jew prior to his knowing Christ. In terms of the world and, and a, being a Jew, in his culture, Paul had achieved a lot. He had everything going for him in regards to his culture and, and being a Jew in his day. Yet here, he tells us, he counted those things as loss. Now that he'd come to faith in Christ, um, those things from the past, the things that made up his very identity in this world, he counted as loss. And, uh, you know, it's no small thing. That word counted there um, is is a Greek word which means to engage in an intellectual process, to think, consider, regard. So Paul had thought through this. He had, he had engaged his mind, he thought through the fact of what he had now in Christ was far more of more value, and that all of that el- other things in, that he had before, he was going to count those as loss. He was going to count them, of, and that word loss means 
One of the part of the definition of the word means to forfeit. And so Paul forfeited those things from his old life because he realized that they didn't compare and that they didn't matter when it came to what he really needed. And that was this relationship with Christ, knowing Christ. Um, But not only those things of his old life he's referring to, but also things of the present he speaks of there. He says in verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost, not just the past things, but all current things he forfeits. He counts them as loss in comparison to this chief aim of his, and which you're going to get to in just a moment, but it's the chief aim in his life of knowing Christ. Um, And not only the present things, but think about it. When Paul's writing this letter, You know, he's writing it, as I'm sure most of you are familiar, he's writing it from prison. And so Paul has even lost his freedom in following Christ. But he's like, none of that matters. What matters for me is to to gain Christ, is to know him. And that word gain there that he uses is to acquire by effort or investment to gain Used in a figurative sense, the meaning means make, make him one's own. And Paul here is not talking about salvation. He's not talking about trying to earn salvation. He's talking about knowing Christ. That's what he's seeking to gain is, is a deeper knowledge and relationship with Christ. Something interesting that Jesus said in John 17.3. And again, I think it kind of really to me shows how... It's not a small thing for us to know the Lord. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is, is directly tying eternal life to knowing God and knowing him. That's eternal life. It's wrapped up in knowing me. So this isn't some side thing for our lives. It's directly related to what everything the Lord has for us is in knowing him and knowing the Lord. And so in verses 9 through 11, you know, we see him again continue to emphasize knowing Christ. You know, Paul had come to a place of understanding that the only thing that mattered for eternity was his knowledge of Christ. Christ had gave him what he was unable to attain in his own efforts. And that's why, again, those things are a loss. Christ gave him the righteousness of God. And in verse 10, Paul returns to the thought there of knowing the Lord. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We're going to kind of walk through some of these statements he makes here now. But he says, know Christ. This know means not just in theory, but again, an experiential knowing. Kind of like the second know of Hosea 6.3. So it's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge that Paul is after. and Not something that he wanted to know what others could tell him about God. He wanted to know it for himself. He wanted to experience the Lord on his own. And this verb here indicates the most intimate knowledge of another person, this word know. So it's not Paul's aim to know about Christ, but personally to know him, is again what is being said there. And the verb really gives the strength to what is being said. It's an intimate knowledge. Again, it's an experiential knowledge of the Lord that he's after. And then he goes on there to say in verse 10, to, to know the power of his resurrection. 
I want to read a a quote here for a moment from Spurgeon. He says, I do not think, however, that Paul is here thinking so much of the power displayed in the resurrection as of the power which comes out of it, which may most properly be called the power of his resurrection. This the apostle desired to apprehend and to know. And so that life-giving power for our lives in order for us to be victorious in this life, to overcome flesh, the fleshly desires, to overcome the pressures of this world, that's the power that Paul wanted to know, was that resurrection power found in in knowing Christ and knowing the power of his resurrection. Then he says there next, he says in verse 10, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so Paul desired to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. He desired to, to relate to Christ in that way. And there's a lot I think Paul could be saying here. But, you know, back in chapter 1 of Philippians, in verse 29, Paul there said to the Philippians that it, it's been granted uh, to us to suffer for Christ. And that word granted means to give freely as a favor, to give graciously to us. And I know, I mean, go contemplate that for a while, right? I mean, uh, granted a gracious favor to suffer, uh, but that is how the Lord looks at it. And Paul knew the importance of being willing to suffer with Christ and identify with his sufferings. And I think what is primarily connected to this is that self-denial that has to take place, you know, denying ourselves, And if you think about the life of Christ, I mean, that is one of the things you readily see is he denied himself, right? He didn't come for his own sake. He came for ours. And so everything about his coming was a denial of self. And, you know, for those of you who just got back from going to Israel, I know for me, one of my favorite parts of going to Israel was being there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because there in the Garden of Gethsemane is where Jesus gave that ultimate denial of self. Like, he knew what was in front of him. He knew the pain and suffering that was ahead on the cross. And there was that great struggle that took place there in his humanity. But he surrendered to the will of the Father. He surrendered completely to the Father's will for us. And so I think Paul, that's what Paul's after here, is that he would identify with Christ's sufferings. In other words, live his life in that way of of self-denial. That it wasn't about Paul and what Paul wanted. It's about the Lord and what the Lord wants for his life. And this is where the Lord wants us to identify and wants us to know him is in this, right? The giving up of what we want for the sake of what he wants for us. What does he have for our lives? And that's why Jesus told us, right, to take up our cross and follow him. And that's what that means is that self-denial, denying our desires, our wants for the sake of Christ and following him and knowing him. I want to read a quote uh, here to you from um, William Barclay. And he says, To know Christ is not to be skilled in any theoretical or theological knowledge. It is to know him with such intimacy that in the end we are as united with him as we are with those whom we love on earth. And that, just as we share their experiences, so we also share his. And so again, that's why Paul brings in that desire there to know of his sufferings and be conformed to his death. 
He wanted to know Christ in that way to identify with them. This takes us to verse 12, where Paul says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Again, Paul had counted all things as lost in his pursuit of knowing Christ in an experiential way. So he was pressing on in his pursuit to know Christ. Uh, the word press on is the Greek word diacho, and it means to move rapidly and decisively toward an object, to hasten, to run, to press on. And so he says, again, here, I press on in this. Again, there's a intentional, it's intentional, right? It's not, uh, if I get around to it, I'm going to do this. If it is convenient for me, I'm going to do this. No, it's like I press on to know Christ. I'm pressing on to do this. And interestingly enough, that word that's translated there, the Greek words translated as press on, is the same word that's used in the Septuagint for the Hebrew word pursue back in Hosea 6.3. It's the exact same word, which that's what the translators that wrote, that did the translation of the Hebrew into Greek in the Septuagint, they use that Greek word there. And so again, it carries this idea of, a, of being really intense in pursuit. It's not halfway, it's a real intense pursuit. So Paul's like, I'm going to press on. I haven't attained. Now, if you think about it here, it probably came as a little bit of a shock to the Philippian readers to hear Paul say that I'd not already attained. And um, in verse 13, I, I did not count myself to have apprehended, right? Because they knew Paul pretty well. I mean, they had watched Paul. If you read in the book of Acts, when he came to Philippi, uh, he had suffered some intense persecution, um, very intense persecution, and yet he didn't run away from it. He stayed there, and after I, he was beaten, imprisoned, and then he was released and spent a little more time with them, and they would have seen the visible effects on his body of being beaten with those rods as he was beaten with, and they'd be like, man, this guy's he's crazy, <laughs> you know? I mean, he's not running away. He's staying here, and now this same guy is telling us he's not arrived, He's not attained, that he's still pressing on. And so may that, I'm sure it was for them, and may it be for us an encouragement to not be content, no matter where we are with the Lord and knowing him, to not stay back and be complacent about it and think we're good enough. May we have the mindset of pressing on to know the Lord as the Apostle Paul did. Um, and that word attained there is a word which means to enter into a close relationship, receive, make one's own, apprehend or comprehend. So again, I've not attained, I've not entered into a close relationship as I possibly can yet with Christ. So I'm gonna keep pressing on, I'm gonna keep pursuing. And so he wasn't content with having a familiarity with Christ or a casual relationship. Instead, he was going to press on that he might lay hold of Christ because Christ had laid hold of him. And he talks about that here in these verses. This was his pursuit. And because it was his pursuit, it's why in Philippians 1.21, he was able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because of his chief pursuit of his life being to know Christ, for him to die was only even better because he was going to have even a greater knowledge of Christ. He was going to be with the one he was seeking to know. And so this is the Apostle Paul's example to us. And so 
You know, there's a danger, I think, in allowing ourselves to think opposite of what Paul's expressing here in verse 12, to think that we have attained, right? Because it can cause us to become lazy and sluggish in our walk with the Lord, we can become very complacent. And I love, you know, Pastor Troy brought it up on Sunday, the struggle we have, you know, in our humanity, uh, how we're so familiar with the things we can touch and taste and see, and those are easy for us to relate to, but the spiritual is a challenge for us. And, and so even more so why we have to seek to pursue, <laughs> to know him that it isn't just going to come naturally in our lives because it's contrary to our flesh to do that. It's not what our flesh desires. And so we have to be, uh, you know, persistent. We have to be intentional, I think, is what Paul is describing here. You know, most of us here tonight, praise the Lord, I think, I would, you know, know Christ, right? Most of us are in a place of, know him, of knowing him, but the question we need to ask us ourselves is, are we pressing on to know him? Are we pressing on, or have we become content with where we are? And, you know, that is the danger, and that's something we have to search our hearts and seek the Lord on. Have we let off? Have we said, this is far enough? I know the Lord pretty well, and that's good. May that not be our mindset. May our mindset be like Paul's, is to press on, to lay hold. Um, he goes on there in, um, in verse 12, um, there at the end, um, it talks about, you know, there's two times he uses the word lay hold. And the, the, the word again there means to make something one's own, to win and attain and it's in the active voice there, so it means Paul is doing this. He's seeking to lay hold of Christ. But when he says Christ laid hold of him, it's in the passive voice. It's the same word, but Paul was the receiver of the action. So Christ had laid hold of him, and now it was Paul's desire to lay hold of Christ. And to take, again, I think full advantage of what the Lord had done in his life. And so if you've put faith in Christ, if you are a person, as I assume most of us are here tonight, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, he's laid hold of us. And now the challenge back to us is seek to lay hold of him, seek to know him. And so verse 13, again, he says, I've not, do not count myself as having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are, he are ahead. Paul repeats a little bit of what he said there in verse 12. You know, he's again acknowledging, I've not laid hold of this. I've not arrived. And I think he gives us two important keys to us pressing on there. He says, forgetting those things which are behind. Behind in this context is referring to the part of the course already covered. Paul was saying, I've already run that part of the race. If I'm going to press on, I can't get caught up dwelling on that. That part's behind me. And so instead, I'm going to press, I'm going to reach forward. I want to strain forward in my walk with the Lord. And again, this is that thing of not having a casual mindset about our walk with the Lord. Not resting on the past, but pressing forward. And there's, again, the, the language that's used there, it's one of effort that he's talking about there in verse 13. Reaching forward, it's a straining forward. And it's, you might, I think the imagery would be that like of a, of a runner in a race, right? 
when they come in up to the tape, they're straining forward to get across and be the first to cross the line. And so that's what Paul is saying I'm doing here. I'm straining forward. I'm reaching forward and not steadying on the past. I'm pressing on in my walk with the Lord. And that was why Paul was able to keep going because his view was forward. And, and I think we'll come to this at the end, the forward, in that it was an eternal view of things. And, and that's why he mentions to them what he does in verse 20 and 21. But so Paul was exerting himself. That's what this, and the Greek word there, I'm sorry, means re, in the reaching forward, means to exert oneself to the uttermost, to stretch out the strain. And so, you know, we only have so much energy and time in our lives and if we focus on, if we're going to focus on what is ahead in Christ, we don't have time to dwell on the past and to sit there. And so that's why Paul put his efforts there. You know, Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And that's that straining forward. In verse 14, it, it comes to where Paul talks about pressing on for the prize. It says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul had made the intentional decision to press on for the prize. And what's the prize? Well, I just want to read to you guys as I talk about this here, a couple quotes from a couple different commentators. The first one says, Vigorously and with concentration, Paul sought to win the prize to which God had called him heavenward. Again, the Greek games must have been on his mind as he wrote of the prize. The winner in those games was called to the place where the judge sat in order to receive his prize. Another commentator says of this as looking at himself as a runner in a race, Paul described himself as exerting every effort toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal is the finish line at the end of the racetrack. The prize is the reward presented to the winner. Here the goal would be the finish, would be the finish of life's race, and perhaps more particularly the judgment seat of Christ. The prize would be the crown of righteousness, which Paul elsewhere describes as the prize for those who have ran well. And so Paul here, I, I agree, is using that imagery of the Olympic Games, of, of, of running to get the prize. And I love that, you know, the imagery there is, is they would have to go before the judge to receive their prize. And it's a beautiful picture of exactly what's going to happen for us. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive the thing done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so not about, it's not for salvation. It's not about salvation. Our salvation, we're righteous in Christ. But this is what have we done with our salvation? <laughs> we're going to stand before his, the, him as the judge. And our, the things that are not of the Lord are going to be burned up. And the things that are of the Lord are going to remain. And those are the things that we're going to be rewarded for. And so Paul was looking forward. That was what he had in mind is, again, that eternal view. This is why he sought to press on. He wanted to hear Jesus say, well done. That was Paul's goal. And so, and I think if we're seeking to know the Lord and pursuing him, we are going to hear him say, well done. But I don't think we can hear him say, well down, done, apart from seeking to know the Lord. Like without seeking to know him, we're going to get off the track. We're going to be where we are not supposed to be, and we're not going to live a life where the Lord can say, well done. That brings us to verses 15 through 17 here, and I think we see a mature example. Um, and, you know, Paul talks about 
there in verse 15, therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. And so a mature believer will see the necessity of living like Paul is describing here. We're going to see that this is important that we live our lives to pursue, to know the Lord. And I think you also see there a mature believer is also gracious with those around him. You know, Paul is like, if you don't see this, I'm going to trust that God's going to reveal it to you. God's going to help you to see it. And so Paul had a great trust in the ability of God to work in other people's lives. But at the same time, he wasn't afraid to set forth the example, to speak the truth and to call people to pursue to know the Lord. But he did trust God's work in, their, in people's lives. You know, Philippians 1.6, you think you see there, Paul's trust in the work of God. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we need to trust the work of God's Spirit, not only in our lives, but in the lives of other believers. And again, it doesn't mean we don't speak of the truth to people. It doesn't mean we don't exhort and encourage, but we have to trust God to work too. And that's what I think we see Paul doing here. We speak the truth in love and with grace, but Paul trusted that God would show them the need to press on. And verse 16, a mature believer will encourage you to, to be doing what you're already are doing now. If you're walking with the Lord, he's going to continue, you're going to encourage that person to keep on doing that. Uh, New Living Translation of verse 16, I think, gives a little better picture. It says, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. And so this is where you are in your walk. Good, okay? Don't watch out. Don't go backwards. Hold on to where you're at, but follow my example and press on, again, is what he's exhorting to here. And verse 17, <clears throat> mature believer will be an example worth following. And Paul there speaks, he tells him, uh, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And so Paul exhorts him to be a fellow imitator, um, you know, and to follow him as he followed Christ. And we should all be in a place, if we're pursuing the knowledge of knowing Christ, then we can say, follow me. Because we're doing what we should be doing. And that's why Paul was able to say to them, follow me. Um, and he tells them also to note those who are walking the same way. You know, not to pr for the reason of praising them or to lift them up, but to note them so as to spend time with them and allow their life to be an example and an encouragement to you. And so we should all be looking for people who are pursuing to, to want to know the Lord who are just dripping with a desire to know him, because that's going to encourage us. It's going to help us to want to press on and to be doing what they're doing in their lives. And in verses 18 and 19, it's a warning to watch out. You know, Paul here speaks of some who aren't doing this. It says, for, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Sadly, at, at the, Paul has to point out not all walk the way he's been describing in his walk. For some, their fleshly desires are their God. And, you know, I think a perfect example of this is those who are teaching the prosperity theology, right? They're focused on earthly things, 
They're focusing on telling people, if you have faith, God's going to do this, give you this earthly thing. And Paul's like, that's not where our focus needs to be. I mean, that earthly thing is going to pass away that people are offering. And even something that's good, and when something is good, sometimes they're, you know, they're telling people, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. And God does heal, right? But even if God does heal, that's going to pass away in this lifetime. And so what God is after is the eternal. The eternal is what matters to him. And so that's why Paul is like, watch out for those people who have their mind of fleshly, earthly things, earthy things, because their God is their belly, and their end is destruction. And so you need to continue to follow my pattern, Paul said, of which is pursuing the Lord and, what the, and know the knowledge of him. And then that brings us here uh, to eternity in view, verses 20 and 21. I think we now come to the motivation for pressing on to know Christ. Paul reminds us here of two important truths to motivate us. One, he tells us that we, our citizenship is in heaven. Um, just that reminder that, look, you know, you're not of this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. And as believers in the, this world, we must remember that we're, that's where we're citizens of, that this world is not our home, and we should have a different pursuit and then two, he tells us that we're waiting for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us in that first. And so because we're waiting for him as citizens of heaven, we should be eagerly waiting for him. And, you know, Paul was eagerly waiting for the Lord. Three times in the book of Philippians, he mentions the day of Christ. In chapter 1, verse 6, in chapter 1, verse 10, and in chapter 2, verse 16, he speaks of Christ's return and of the day of Christ, and he's speaking of it here, of eagerly awaiting. And so not only is Jesus returning, but when he returns, he tells us there that he's going to transform our lowly bodies. But I think the point here is, why pursue the knowledge? Why want to know the Lord as Paul's describing? Well, to me, the point is, is because we're going to be with him. Our Savior is going to return to take us to be with him, and so let's get busy knowing him. We're going to have the chance to be in his presence. Let's be there already far ahead because we know him. We have already know him in this life. We don't, we don't have to wait, you know, the, and the worship team can come forward. Uh, we don't have to wait for his appearing to know him. <laughs> we get to know him now. We don't have to wait for our bodies to be transformed now we have the opportunity to know the Lord. And again, I know I'm talking to people tonight, and I praise God for this. Like, you guys know the Lord. You have a relationship with him. But my encouragement and to me, first and foremost, and then to you, is that we pursue, continue to pursue knowing him, that we're not content with what we already know, that we dig in deeper to know him. The Lord has redeemed us. The Lord has, you know, and for some of us, the Lord has restored us. Maybe we walked away and the Lord restored us. And the Lord wants to dwell with us, not just so we can hang out with him, but so we can know him. <laughs> he wants us to know him. And so, again, you know, Hosea 6.3, it says, Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning he will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. And so, 
you know, let's answer that call to know the Lord. And so what we're going to do here, we're going to take a, we're going to take a little extra time in worship and we're going to do two songs and there'll be people up here afterwards to pray with you after the worship time winds down, there'll be people to pray. But what I was, was on my heart tonight is just to give us another time just to be here before the Lord and let the Lord speak to you. Like, are you pursuing the knowledge of him? Are you seeking to know him as Paul describes here? And if you're not, let's do business with the Lord and let's ask the Lord's forgiveness and let's ask the Lord to stir in my heart, Lord, stir in my heart a greater desire to know you. Lord, help me to not be content with where I'm at. Help me to want to know you in a deeper way and take full advantage of that invitation to know him. <laughs> Let us know. Let us know the Lord. And so um, we're just going to be here before the Lord in worship. The altar is open. If you want to come and pray, if you want to stand before the Lord, if you want to kneel before the Lord, but let's just spend some time seeking him and asking him to help us to grow in our knowledge of him. And I'll close this part in prayer. Lord, thank you that we can come. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, as we are here before you, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, you know each of us, God. You know whether we're really seeking to know you right now in our walk with you. And Lord, I pray that for any of us that aren't, that Lord, we would just hear that call, Lord, to come and to know and to press in. And and Lord, for maybe, Lord, there are some of us who are already doing that, but Lord, help us be stirred to, to go deeper and not be content, but to press on in our knowledge of you. And, and Lord, I also pray that, Lord, if there's anybody tonight who's hearing this who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would know that you want them to know you, that you want them to come to you as well. And, um, and Lord, so, Lord, you hear that call, Lord, for salvation. And I pray that if anybody needs to call upon you, Lord, tonight, that they would. Lord, your word says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and so, Lord, just speak to us, God, as we're here before you, I pray. Lord, help us to hear what you're saying, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.